Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Honestly Speaking podcast. We got Farbs and Eddie. Uh, no Jim today, but he'll explain why during the next podcast episode. In the booth, we got my homegirl, B. Arthur. Uh, she's a licensed therapist and a serial entrepreneur. So we touch on a lot of things ranging from Me Too, interracial dating, and the history of porn. Uh, so if any of those things are interesting to you, kick up your feet and listen up. Here we are, and welcoming to the podcast, a good friend of mine, longtime friend, it's been a minute, B. Arthur. Welcome, B. Hey, y'all. This is the other B. Arthur, second of her name, coming through the Houston Harlem hottie. Glad to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs> so the, the original B. Arthur, what is your relationship to? Have you ever met her? By the way, I didn't even know who B. Arthur was. Golden Blasphemy. Girls. Blasphemy. I know. I, f- I feel weird. I looked it up. I was like, oh, I want to see what B's podcast is up to. <laughs> and I see Golden Girls. Turns and I come in here and Courtney is like, are you crazy? How do you not know the Golden Girls? <laughs> Honestly, you know why you should be proud? Because I actually used to use that as a tell for closeted gay men. <laughs> because it was the original Sex of the City, right? It's for old sluts in Miami. And, oh. and the writing has really held up. And so before it became on Hulu, like literally people would be like, oh my God, be Arthur. But straight men would never take the bait because like they didn't watch it. Like it was watched by women and gay men because it was literally on Lifetime for Women for several years. Yeah. And, and finally, my girlfriend was like, introduced me to her boyfriend and was like, I love B. Arthur. And I was like, honey. <laughs> <laughs> need to have a talk with him. But now that it's on Hulu, the writing holds up. You can still enjoy That's the OGB. Great. I, I still have never seen. I'm going to actually, I'm going to watch an hell. episode. Ed, I feel like you were a huge <laughs> Sex and the City fan in college. Oh, you know what? I no, I you know I did watch Sex and the City a couple years ago because I just, as soon as I moved to, I was like, I just want to watch every show and movie based in New York. Because I just love the city and I love seeing the scenes and seeing which restaurants and things that they go to. So I literally, I literally binged Sex and the City um, on HBO a couple of years ago. And I was like, it was a good show. It was, I mean, it was good for the time. It was good. For, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. It did not so, hold up. Well. Yeah, it's super problematic if you look at it now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And just weird and wrong about so many things. Yeah, true. De- <laughs> definitely. Who sees their friends that much? Who has a diner? Diners are gross. True. <laughs> right. Diners. And they're literally out to all of the restaurant openings and all of the things. True. I, I guess I guess you're right. I don't know if it holds up. But shout out to a good New York. I didn't know that. Did, did, it, did it pay homage to Golden Girls a lot? No. Okay, we're getting off track. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I just love. Okay, good. Okay. So let's get, B, let's get into your background. Um, as I was saying, I, I've known you. I met you at, I met you through tech, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you founded several tech companies. You, you're the CEO of, of one right now. And then you do a podcast on the side. But then, you, then, you, then you're on the speaking circuit. Um, and then you're on TV as a talking head. <laughs> oh, I've boy. seen you a couple of times. You know, so which are the things do you want to get into and just kind of give the, 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 the listeners a little bit about your background? Thank you. That was an excellent intro, my darling Eddie. And for anybody <laughs> wondering, no, Eddie and I did not smash. We are very good platonic friends who I only sexually harass occasionally. So here's the trick, y'all. Eddie and I did meet through the New York startup scene. And there's By the so way, I love that you used the word smash. 
<laughs> Dipping it. Which do you prefer? Smush? <laughs> we were talking about the Jersey Shore. No, Smash is a classic. I love classic. Smash. Smash and Dash. That's what we do. That's what the homie do. So I, as a woman in startups, there's not that many of us, one, and there's not that many black people in tech. So when I started my last company, I made a personal decision that I would not date guys in tech. It's just a small scene. It could go wrong a million different ways. Eddie's fine as fuck if y'all can't see him. <laughs> but um, all the people who were worried about getting Me Too, like you don't get Me Too'd if you only sexually harass your friends and family. So, <laughs> you know? Big facts. It's Big not hard. Fact. It's not hard. Just don't sexualize people who work for you. So yeah, any of mine met in the startup scene. Um, I am a, a licensed therapist. I am a serial entrepreneur. Um, I'm a Forbes host and contributor and speaker. And I also am a podcast host of a Sona sponsored show called Be the Change. Um, and yeah, I well, I guess I've been a licensed mental health counselor for over ten years. Uh, I came to New York. I went to Columbia for counseling and clinical psychology. Um, and then I kind of. You know what? Let me swag up. I created <laughs> the online therapy category. Psychology technology is my lane. My last company um, was one of the first to move therapy online with video, Talkspace Who. Um, and, you know, I was in White Combinator with that company. Right, and right. yeah, so, so that's what I love. My goal is, and with the difference, we built the very first Alexa skill for therapy with the goal of creating everyone in the world with a live licensed therapist in 30 minutes or less. So that's the difference because we believe the right talk at the right time can make all the difference. That's my passion. Um, startups, yes, but psychology first. So I am very happy to be here and talk about all the different ways our messy minds affects all our messy thoughts was your first company the one that you went on shark tank with was that no the first my one? first company actually crashed and burned really quickly ah oh, now i want to say smashed and burned <laughs> but we <laughs> didn't works, even get that that works as well we didn't even get the tip because uh. <laughs> <laughs> my very first company my entrepreneurial journey started in 2008 um while i was still in grad school actually it was called me time our tagline was little escapes from your little ones and i babysat in grad school for a lot of really rich women on the upper east side and so i created kind of what the wing is now a social club for moms hmm. and so the whole idea we was we we're going to provide on-site child care for all these, you know, Midtown and Upper East Side moms and with like grown-up play dates, like not just everything being about being a mom because that's what I saw the problem as. I did my thesis on it. Um, but the year I graduated, 2008, was actually, you know, when Lehman Brothers, if you were here in New oh, York, right. everything went down and yeah. all the women we were targeting were the wives of all the men who were getting laid off. Mm, so yeah. it kind of crashed. We didn't, even get it, we, had, we didn't even get a chance to launch. And that was actually when my depression started and that's when I started Pretty Padded Room because I was a therapist, super depressed about it, but I hadn't told anybody about this business. And I was like, damn, all my friends are therapists, all my mentors are therapists, I'm a therapist, and it's still hard for me to get fucking therapy. Yeah. So that's when I started this mission. Wow. And, and is that the business that you took on Shark Tank? That's the bit. Pretty Padded Room was the business I took on Shark Tank back in 2000. It was right after the alley. Like that, I, I joined right before I joined the alley, which is probably around the time that I met you. Got it. Shout out to Jason and NC, big part of New York startup community. Uh, I haven't seen NC for so long. I know. I wonder he's how doing he's doing. That. He's busy. He's good. He's super busy. Yeah, yeah, sister too. Um, crazy so the i don't I'm, I'm sure people ask you about shark take a lot i don't know how, the last time you talked about it or whatever but you know what was that um experience like i'm gonna go ahead and assume my nda is expired shark take oh, right. yeah that's all i thing. mean was that like year like that was year one i think no i think back then it was like into season 
two or three by then because right. I had never seen the show before. And, and I, this is how I approach most things in my life if we're going to talk about business. Ignorance is bliss because when I got onto Shark Tank, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was Johnny Deutsch's show. Same thing when I got into Y Combinator. I had never heard of Y Combinator. Yeah, yeah, so like, and had I known what it was each time, I probably would have imposter syndrome psych myself out. So for anybody, like these podcasts are great. Business podcasts are great once you're started. But for real, like don't try and study too much. You know, a lot mm. of it is instinct hustle. Like a lot of the advice can't be assigned to your particular business case anyway. So just like jump in feet first and figure things out. Be flexible and excited. Dope. So just when like, you... That's what she said. <laughs> I mean, did it, did you get picked by someone? Or oh, how? no. It was a t- have you seen oh, it? I saw it, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw it. Was it's I, on Hulu, I think. Who, who were the judges at that point? Uh, Cuban was wasn't on, on yet, right? Yeah, he was. He was, he was on. already there. Barbara Corcoran was there. Uh, she said I looked very pretty, and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> it was a terrible thing. I look. It was really unprepared. Nobody, no, nobody <laughs> invested in me at all. I always say it's like walking down a hallway, and you think there's going to be a surprise party, but then you get jumped. <laughs> 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 because they hated, oh my God, like they didn't hate the business, they hated me because like, I, you know, I didn't know what a CAC was at the time, like we had just oh. gotten started and they were like, no, your numbers and the one in the middle had such a hard on for me, he was like, oh, this is too expensive, this is too cheap, like, he was like the last one out and he was just hating on it Mr. so hard. Wonderful? Mr. He, Wonderful. Uh, that guy. Yeah. He's it, always an asshole. He's always an asshole. But if it wouldn't have been for Shark Tank, which I got on by myself, I didn't know anybody, mm. um, by the time, by the time it aired, um, I, it, it, there's like three to four months. And so literally like when I went home, I cried like on every subway in New York, like for weeks. And then I woke up and this happens to me all the time. Like in the entrepreneurial journey, you want to quit a lot. You think you're not good enough a lot, but if you wake up and you still want to do it, you should do it. So mm-hmm. that's the thing. After six weeks, I said, okay, if the, by the time this airs, I want the difference to be in a different place or the company to be in a different place at yeah. the time. And that's when I joined the alley because I was like, I could keep doing everything myself, but I'm missing my weaknesses. It's, I'm doing a disservice to the business. So that's when I joined the alley and that's when everything changed. Like networking, meeting the other New York City community has been really good to me. Um, so yeah, so it was all good. And I looked really pretty on TV. <laughs> As you said, most so. importantly. Most uh, importantly, and we our business went up. It was not a good showing, but my heart was there. And by the time that we aired, we did more that first week than we, the first month that we had the entire previous year. So was the, so uh, people always talk about if you don't get an investment, you still get sort of this, this marketing exposure. effect, exposure. That's so all that, that matters, honestly. That was a real, that, that was a real effect? Oh my God, yes. Mm. I could not have gotten that exposure right. without it. And that's why there's timestamps. Like, I'm not hating, like, I love telemedicine and stuff. But yeah, that's when it was introduced to the masses. So I'm going to take that. Wow. Yeah. And you, and you mentioned the alley. So for the listeners that don't know, the alley is, is sort of a super... Um, old school New York co-working space. One of the originals. One of the first, yeah. One of the first. That's right? where I met Catherine Minshew and Alex Havlaka. Oh, yeah. Shout out to, Shout out to, to the Muse. Muse. Yeah. Uh, New York based female founded amazing startup here. That's where I met NC. I think I met you. That's where I met Rachel Sklar, who I kind of owe my career to. A lot of women put me on. A lot of people put me on. And that came through going to that one. Can I, answer, I want to ask a question, though, because I, I just kind of going more macro on this. So you've been doing mental health. That's your background. Mm-hmm. You're around startups. Uh, we read every day though that like startup founders are absolutely miserable. Like it's they're terrible. they're so effing depressed. Yeah. And <laughs> the numbers are like crazy. It's only yeah. a few that actually really make it. Like, why do we keep celebrating entrepreneurship at like the rate that we do if so many of them are like dead depressed? Like most people would actually probably be a lot happier in like a job field of like stuff they actually like 
with some security and like Support, not going to bed like dreaming nightmares of payroll. Drained, mm. drained. My last company, I was paying payroll over my rent for like 10 years. I've been evicted twice on this game. Yeah. On the other side, I can be like, oh, well, I'm my own boss. Right. <laughs> But like for me, it's like faith of a mustard seed. But I do advise new people if I don't think the idea is strong enough, I'll be like, don't do this. Like you're gonna like crush your whole spirit. Or break. I've seen families break up, friends break up. Right. I miss weddings, stuff like that. Like, don't do it unless you need to see it in the world. And for my vision, I do need to see it in the world. That's crazy. And in the, the alley, I don't know if it. I don't know if B if you if you find this, but I feel like the alley. There's like a disproportionate uh, amount of black founders that are yeah. at the alley. Is that like, is that my imagination? Like, why are they wild. all there? It's crazy. <laughs> Cause Jason Saltzman, shout out to Jason Schultzman is a homie, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know right. like he's pretty black. He dates Asian girls, you know, like what's up with all these tech guys dating Asian girls. You know, what's up with it. <laughs> that, there is some weird twisted shit Bro, there. Dude, don't ever go to San Francisco. You're I, fine. It is, it is a creepy, I actually do want to go Thank there. Thank you. So we were, yeah. So interracial dating, it's not just black and white. It's not just like Latino. Like, but don't you think there's some weird is, like patriarchal subservient thing yes. going on oh, there? Yeah, Quite sure, clearly. And, it, and you know what's interesting? Well, because I have friends like this. Um, you know, a lot of these guys get into it. Oh, like Asian girls, you know, are so submissive. Yeah, in their culture. But guess what? When they're not with an Asian guy, they don't feel obligated to honor those like dynamics. Yeah, so they're they also like American aggressive. at this point. They're not like, they're, right. they're creating like this like whole myth around yes. what it is, which is also weird unto itself. Right. Yeah. But the thing about interracial dating that I appreciate is that if you were raised in a very strong culture where there's very clear rules, even without people saying it, like if you see another Asian person or a black person in another country on the other side of the world, there's rules, you know, just because there's similar ways you're we're raised. You don't have to abide by those rules when you date outside of your culture. For example, like, and so this is what the thing, Asian women are seen as meek, subservient, submissive. Guess what? When they get these white boys, they run shit. Like, like, and, and <laughs> white guys get into it. Like, I date white guys that are really, really into me being dominant. And that's just that. And I can't do that with some black men. Unfortunately, I think that, and I love black men. Black men are my heroes. But some black men due to the system have issues with power. You know, and so when I see like, you know, a system that breaks these people down mentally, financially, like if you I'm not one of those black girls who's like, you need to date black women. If it makes you if you and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but if you need a Becky who it's is called honestly speaking, it's called honestly speaking. If you need a Becky who is simple, <laughs> doesn't give you no problems, puts up with your nonsense for as long as it takes to work you out, work it out, learns how to do your kid's hair. Do that, brother, like <laughs> the healing you need. Get the healing that you need, but don't make it seem like the alternative isn't because like dating black women is worse. It's just different. It, and it is different. Dating different races to me is different. I noticed, I mean, you date the rainbow. <laughs> I, okay, yeah. I didn't know that this was going to come up on this podcast. Damn, yeah, Eddie on the hot seat. You knew seat. you were I, a thought. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you knew, nigga. <laughs> we both is. That's our thing. Tech, thoughts. <laughs> right, yeah. Pals. Pals. <laughs> Yeah, so, right, I, well, me in particular, yeah, I'm just all over the place. I grew up in New Hampshire, which I, I probably mentioned on this podcast before to, to listen. Well, what, what do your family or friends say about it? Um, they don't really, honestly, I have so many different friend groups because I grew up in New Hampshire with all white people. There's literally only white girls to date. And in fact, um, in high school when there was like one other black girl, Everybody would be like, wouldn't it be so cute if you dated? <laughs> There's literally you know, a South Park episode about that. Alicia over here. Right. And I'm just like, oh, this is so cartoonish. It's ridiculous. Yeah. 
Um, you know, but then then going to an HBCU, it's just all black people right. and women. And then, you know, so I've been I've lived several lives, dating lives, and and I'm just I'm an equal opportunity employer. Is is it worse for a black man to come home with an Asian woman or a white woman? I think black men dating Asian women is pretty black. Like that's been in the in the community for a while, like intermingling. Yeah. yeah, I think it's you know, where is Jim? For for the audience at, yeah. at, at at home, Jim is he's running a bit late. He would just be busting out of his the, seat. The, cla- the classic there. trains aren't working. Uh, the cla- excuse. The trains aren't working. Uh, Sending right. us pictures of train stops he doesn't live by. But, <laughs> that literally you know, that, that That is happening currently. Well, right. have you ever dated outside of your... What is the white perspective? Because we, like, the people of color observe white people. Yeah. Y'all don't necessarily observe yeah. us. So we know about y'all, but it's always... Interesting. Right. And to answer your question, and I know Jim... Once he finally gets here, he can talk about this. But I, th- it just, just it, uh, from a black perspective, is nothing probably more controversial than just dating a white woman. Like yeah. that's the most controversial. Other ethnicities and fo- like it's, it's probably still will raise an eyebrow. But like, there's a storied history with with that. Obviously, I think everyone says something about everything, no matter what, no matter yeah. how liberal of a group you're with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, my, my first like mini girlfriend, like eighth grade was like an Afro Latina chick. Um, but I also went to like a, a super diverse school. So no one said anything because that was just a composite. Mm-hmm. But then I, I would feel like there were maybe times in maybe college that there were some women I were, was hooking up with that are black. And then it was like maybe a little bit more of just like little jokey comments. Like no one was like, that's a thing. But because in that situation, it was way less diverse. Mm. Um, and I think that's just like the typical situation whenever you're in an imbalanced position people okay. just whether they believe it or not are going to make just like a knee jerk thing and it they're going right. to notice it yeah absolutely um you bring up a good point like if if you're the <clears throat> the <clears throat> excuse me the environment that you were in there was it was pretty diverse and nobody really noticed because it was just all everybody was in it and and everybody just sort of um you know uh coexisted together right when you come from more homogenous um, environments or communities, and then you bring a, a different person that may be a quote unquote outsider, whoever they are, into that homogenous community. It's gonna people gonna be like, oh, this seems off or, or different. And then and then I think in that context, um, people have things to say or they have knee, knee, knee jerk reactions. Um, but if you're in, a, in an environment that is just more um, cosmopolitan and diverse, people don't really notice. But when you come when you talk about American and it being so um, hyper segregated, you're gonna get those reactions from virtue of of the way that we live. So I think that, that that's a lot to do with the problem of why people feel a certain way, um, along with other things. But I think that that's one of the biggest um, things about it. Well, well B, you're, you're Ghanaian. Do you think there's a difference in being from African descent as opposed to being like African-American within these kind of conversations? Oh, totally. I mean, I think in general, Africans who, I'm first generation, Africans have a different relationship to white people and racism than black Americans do. Because if something doesn't happen in Ghana, it's not because you're black, <laughs> you know? So like, For sure. you know, and also my parents and my sister-in-law, everybody else who was born there, my brothers who were born there, like the first time they experienced racism, it hurts, but you're like, oh, like you don't take it personally because you're an adult and you know who you are. And it doesn't necessarily need to become part of your identity. So for example, my dad in 1980s Texas, before there was the Equal Opportunity Act, he, uh, my dad, PhD in public health, and they told him in an interview, oh, we'd hire you, but you're black and you have an accent. Mm. 
And they could do that before there were laws about it. And so, um, but he never took it personally. He just made sure that we don't, we, I don't speak my family's language, that we assimilated. I have my Hillary Banks voice, that we assimilated very, very well. <laughs> and it was more of a data point for him to adjust to than like this thing that affects like how you mm. feel. And so I remember when I was growing up, because I was raised in a Jewish neighborhood in Houston. So same thing. The first guy who ever told me I was pretty was a white guy. The first guy who ever told me I was ugly was a black boy, you know? So like, and, and so this is why I'm very open and accepting about interracial relationships, because a lot of black men get heat for it but at the same time there are black girls who be like oh you corny you know and like has that like I mean like you look at like you know people when they found out Donald Glover um has a white baby mama like Donald Glover is like literally so pro-black like give this man his respect and they're like oh I can't believe he you can be pro-black and still date outside of your race yeah I <clears throat> like the yeah Donald Glover being like more of like the nerdy black right. or kind of thing Am I, am I making up that Harry Belafonte is a white woman? There's some. There's some. Yeah, Harry Belafonte. He's also um, super pro black. Super pro black. As like pro black as a guest. Yeah. yeah. He's. He's. Oh, where is he from? He's not African American. West Indian, I believe. Yeah, West Indian. He moved here. Where it's here. also mm. super. There are yeah. like white West Indians. I know white Bahamians. I know white like Ghanaians even. So like it is more mixed. Like for me, it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I think that there's all types of complications. America being. There's something specific about America in its history of um, quote unquote race and skin color and lineage and all of those things that don't quite exist. They exist in other historical contexts, in other countries and other continents. Um, but America is a particular thing when you talk about, you know, interracial and you talk about, you know, skin tones and um, and kids. people uh, always say I worry about the kids. Right. And, 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 and other countries do have that complex as well. You talk about Brazil, which, which, which obviously has a, um, uh, a census of like 30 something races and there's clearly colorism in Brazil. Um, but and I think uh, a, a big uh, byproduct of racism is colorism because, you know, and I've talked about this on and we can, you know, we can talk about this beat um, in, in one of the last episodes in that. Um, you know, the history of racism didn't necessarily start with color, but power and how it manifested into color and colorism. And America exported a lot of its, um, you know, complications in colorism to other countries through minstrelsy and through all of these other things. So there is the complication of, of colorism and dark and light in other countries. But I think it's more of an export. Um, you know, I'm going out on the ledger. I think it's more of an export of America than it being an innate historical thing in other countries you know every, every country has its um historical yeah bleaching historical context of plunder and hierarchy and all of those other things but there's a particular thing about skin color interracial and interracial um uh sort of uh, uh history in america that complicates romantic relationships to no ends right and you, and then you talk about uh, so like and i always in in the whole concept of interracial dating like the irish were considered their own race uh, in, in history, right? You know, when other sort of white ethnics and Irish dated, the, was the, were they Same with the Italians. Same with Italians. Yeah. Same with Jews, you know, yeah. before they all exactly. sort of... Um, Became just white. ...dovetailed into the, the blanket of whiteness, you right. know. Were, were they considered interracial back in the day? Like, back, you know, pre-Civil War. Irish-Italian partnerships used to be, like, the worst 
but yeah. most common thing. Right. So yeah, like it's always about the mixing and whether or not it's like good or bad. But like, I also think you have to know who you are. Like my dad, they used to ask my dad because I've always dated white boys. They used to ask my dad, does it bother you that she doesn't date black guys? And my dad just laughed. He goes, no African man would ever date her. <laughs> He's like, she talks back. She can't cook. He's like, I'm just bad somebody. And that's how I feel. <laughs> Well, the, yeah, they I'm have, glad there's somebody who'll take care of my sh- take up my shit. And right. gone if I would have stayed there, bro. I would have been like the best I could have been was a cop's wife. They would have knocked my mouth off by now. Word, yeah, the patriarchy in Africa. The is patriarchy. Real, oh my god, it's terrible. It's crazy, right? Patriarchy exists in Africa, Africa without racism, right? There's no racism in Africa, and even Africans, I don't think that they consider themselves black in the way they might be considering themselves part of the black diaspora, but in the way that. Uh, black Americans consider themselves black and all the things that go along with it. I don't think that carries the same uh, water in Africa. You know what it is? The more We're like white people because we don't think about it as much as black Americans do. Yeah. It's kind of like Jews in Israel. Like, I know Jews in Israel who eat pork. They don't care about intermarrying. Mm. They're like, if it goes down, we're Jews. We get killed. Mm. Y'all are Jewish. That's a faith. We don't believe in that. We're Jews. So ah. same thing in, in Africa. Mm. Like, we're black. Like, and that's that. Like, there's not, you know, I feel like when it's black Americans, there's a lot of, like, work involved. You know, yeah. whereas, like, we just don't think about it as much. Yeah. I, I, I was... Um, what I was, blackness means, I mean. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I was at this uh, book talk with... Um, uh, watching um, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's come up on his podcast before, and he was telling a story about how he lived in, when he lived in France, he lives in New York now, I believe, um, but when he lived in uh, France and in Paris and, and, and his son was going to high school or something, he tried to learn like the history of uh, France and Paris and understanding like the, the historical trauma and, and how the hierarchy forms in his presence, present day. And he was, he was sort of juxtaposing it against America in that, yeah, in America, it's, it's clearly sort of uh, skin tone comes, comes into play a lot in terms, of, in terms of the hierarchy, like the black you are, the badder it is, right, in America. And he, and he assumed that it was the same thing <clears throat> in Paris. Um, and, he's, and he found it to be quite different. He's, he found a lot of um, folks we would call white in Paris dating really dark-skinned um, women, and it, wasn't, it was like a completely unremarkable thing, and nobody looked at it like it was um, uh, peculiar or any, in the way that he looked at it. Um, and then he asked, started asking more local people, he was like, who do you consider folks to be, which population do you consider to be at the bottom um, uh, here in Paris? Um, and, and, you know, in... And, and America, Sub-Saharan Africans, like, you know, dark skin. Um, but they don't. They, they, the, the bottom in, in Paris, they, they consider the Algerians, who it's we would consider, yeah. right, light-skinned in America. And he said, um, and he was like, why is that? You know, they're lighter, they're not, you know, you have the other darker-skinned people above them in the hierarchy. And he was like, it's because um, of history. It's because of Paris uh, and France, because um, uh, Algeria kicked their ass, and, and it's this historical war, and mm. they haven't gotten over it yet. So they consider the Algerians to be um, the bottom in Paris and treated as such. And it was so. It was such an interesting point and story that he made. It, it completely reframed everything for me. In that, um, you know, a lot of the ways that we think here in, in this society, you know, uh, within the bounds of our history in America, um, don't necessarily are sort of are, are exported to other countries. Um, and there's different history and different hierarchies and different plunder um, in, different Ameri- in different countries and, and, and folks that have to live within that. So I, I, I always so I always could remind myself of that. And when I go visit other countries or other continents that, um, you know, and, I've, and, and if, if I, uh, 
um, come across any hostilities, it may not necessarily be because I'm quote unquote black, mm. maybe I'm American or something else. Um, but that, that exists in different contexts and in different places. It's, it's I'm, crazy. I'm going to add a way less serious, eloquent take or just injection <laughs> to this. But I was on Twitter and I was, there's like a whole trend in Britain of like white women, tr- like basically tr- <laughs> kind of putting brown face on them. What is going on there? Have, have What's you, happening I, here? I, Kim Kardashian would not be where she is if yeah. she wasn't capable of tanning. So it, it, <laughs> to that end, it's like to your point, there's different ways and different cultures of how this is being looked because clearly to them, they're like the darker skin we get. This is actually, this is a positive. This is a good look. I mean, there's video after video of white women like browning their face darker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting thing to say. Adding on to the Paris thing, I've had multiple black friends tell me that they they feel very comfortable in France when they go mm. to Spain or Italy. Now they're they're looked at like they're you know zoo animals because it's just so different. But because I think there is a prominence of you know dark melanin like black people from Africa there, right. Right. it's just very in culture and it's it you said it's it's a norm. It's not a thought about thing. Yeah. And there's a couple generations by now of like French Africans who've like are considered like French, you right, know, culturally. Right. Same thing in Brazil. Like there's black Brazilians, but they're Brazilian first. Right. Like that's a new thing. I mean, that was kind of like how Brazil was founded. They were like, I mean, it was based on racism, but they were like, yeah. hey, if you're Irish and you're getting treated like shit, if you're from Corsica and you get, come to Brazil and mate with our black Brazilian bitches and make better Brazil. This is all, on. this is hist- historically, honestly speaking. And, <laughs> and, and it was to make a Brazilian race. And so for a yeah. while, this is all true. So for a while, like they were just saying same thing. They're like, Jews come to Argentina. They're yeah. like, come and like, we'll give you a girl. We'll give you a little bit of money and you'll work and you'll be the next generation of Brazil. So for a while it was, they felt Brazilian first. Wow. That's crazy. So okay. it depends on your, I mean, even with Brexit, that, that was a response to like Polish immigrants who are white and Aryan looking. Mm. So like, it's, it's all about status that it's everywhere status. you go in the world, it's all power and control, period. Power and control. I agree. All, all traces back to that. All of it. Um, Sex, government, all of it, manipulation, all of it is about power and control. Damn. Jim, Jim would heavily co-sign if he was here. It's all about power. I, w- I want to, br- we were talking a little bit off air about just different sex topics, but I wanted to bring up, and I'm totally blanking on her name. I literally just thought about it, but the congresswoman who was the first bisexual congresswoman oh, yeah, out of California, blonde. and basically her boyfriend like revenge porned yeah. her and put out all these pictures. Uh, and so if people didn't know about this, she basically had to resign because there was all these pictures of her having a consensual affair with someone who was below her, obviously on her team. And, and you know, obviously Katie Hill, Katie Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a shame. Yeah. I mean, there's clearly California precedent Democrat. for this. Like, why, why should we be talking? This should be a much bigger issue, right? I'm really concerned about the direction that the Me Too movement is going. It definitely needed to happen, especially as a response to this administration. Mm-hmm. However, just like everything, the race conversation, even like company, country-wise, race looks different. Race and racism looks differently. In this case, there's a spectrum, just like anything else. Like in, in psychology, we say there's circumstantial depression and there's clinical depression. There's autism and a whole spectrum. Same thing when it comes to sexism and feminism. And what's unfortunate is that people don't seem to know the difference between, hey, nice tits or hey you look nice today and like if you don't suck my dick you'll get fired you know there's a big difference i think that we're adults i don't think if it is actually consensual versus like versus like what harvey weinstein was doing like you got to work with me you got to get down on your knees if you want to get down on this project that's a Mm -hmm. very different thing than two adults maybe having an inappropriate or even having an affair you know so like with katie hill like it was a consensual thing white men were mad because here's a woman their biggest fear is that she'll leave you for a woman or a black guy i guess and so they're mad about that meanwhile there's 
there's an actual rapist, like several rapists, like yeah. on a whole other side. I mean, the president's been accused 20 plus times of rape, I think, at this point. I think yeah. he's done it while he's been in office. Like, that's just who he is, you know? So it's, yeah, I, I don't understand when people say, yeah, I'll be, you're being fired. I'd be like, nah. Like, like Franken, like, I'd be like, no, nah. no, like. Al Franken, right. Yeah. And so, so I do want there to be more nuance in, in the conversation. Like, that shouldn't have happened. That's unfortunate. When there's actual people, like, Google paid one guy $90 million out to leave. The women who he harassed. He's so creepy. Right? Yeah. That's. He's a guy who created the Android phone, I think. Probably. That's, that's me too. That is a, a situation where somebody abused their power. There's lots of VCs who get in there. I've had VCs only have meeting times at dinner. Like, oh, yeah, you well, can meet my friend. It happens that. all the time. Right. And they are using the power, and that's what they get off on, to make me smile and laugh and just, because what are you going to do? You want them to like you. And they know that. That is an abuse of power. Right. And they can't get a date otherwise. Exactly. Right. Like, even, if, even if it doesn't get to like a super sexual thing, it's still like an abuse of power. Being like, exactly. hey, come meet me for drinks. I have no interest in, in you know investing exactly. in you. But yes. I just want like a hot young woman to hang with right now, because I'm bored with my life. And who has to laugh life. at my jokes, and who yeah. has to know, even if she make her uncomfortable, who has to kind of nod along. They know that. There's several VCs who are still doing that. So when everybody says, oh, um, Me Too means that people are going to stop um, being scared to be around women. Let me tell you something. My DMs are in shambles, okay? The guys who were going to do it never stopped doing it. <laughs> they, I mean, they leave paper trails. The predators are never going to stop predating. Like, and that's just facts. The guys who are worried about it might be good guys, might be capable of redemption, might be evolving and learning how to treat women. It's not your fault that you didn't know. The patriarchy failed you too. But the people who are pretending that like actual predators get off on this and do it by design repeatedly, it doesn't even matter if they're attracted to. Rape and rape culture is about power and control. Mm -hmm. So I really think we need to call out the pe like with Louis C.K. He got off for a long time because he was really woke. He has two daughters, but yeah, he was like <laughs> mm -hmm. forcing himself on people. That's a crime. We'd feel right. better if you went to jail. Ar I could still play R. Kelly. I can play it now that he's in jail. Right. <laughs> I, I think the I think the funny thing with all the Me Too stuff in tech is. I think, you know, growing up in our culture, so many of us were like, oh, the tech guys are just like these nerdy people. They're the ones controlling everything now. They have everything. the power. And it once again, it comes back to power. They have money in the power. So that is really the real indication. It doesn't matter how social you are or how outgoing exactly. or right. all these other things. It's a power thing. They said that, I actually saw a really good analysis of when, when Tiger Woods was going off when he like had to go to sex addict camp and, he, and you know, his wife came out with the golf club and all that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And everyone was like, his wife's hot. Like he like has a happy family. Why did he do this? And they were like, he's not a sex addict. It's the fact that he's an Asian nerd. Like he was an Asian golfer. He didn't get hoes until like his fourth masters. He did not have hoes. So for for him, it was like, he couldn't believe it, right? Growing up, you know, it's so important to teen boys to, you know, lose your V-card. You know, like, it's just a lot of shame, unfortunately, because of the patriarchy. So I, I understand it. So for him, every time he got one of these girls to sleep with them, it was just like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That was the feeling he was chasing, not sex addiction, which can manifest from just something like that. But again, I think there's a difference. As soon as you label somebody sex addict, it's like it's out of control. It's like, no, there was actually a really logical reason why he was doing these things. You yeah. know? I think that's a sort of a straw man argument, the whole right. sex addiction thing. But going back... It can be I a sexually... I'm a very very sexually healthy adult woman. And all that means is that I'm just really enlightened, you know? And my ex told me, because he got divorced and his his therapist told him he was a sex addict. Then when he got with me, he thought that I was a sex addict just because I ignore enjoy sex the normal amount, you right. know? And so there's lots of prudes out there dictating our, what we, how we should feel. I think there's a lot of layers there. Yeah, the whole like, and, and with obviously women are, are um, 
you know, the sort of the double standard of like, oh, you like sex too much, goes goes to the narrative of like the slut and the whore, which one should not be in a patriarchal system kind of thing and look down on it. Right. That's a whole thing for sure. Um, well, really, really quickly before we move on, I saw Mark Ronson came out and was celebrated for being a sapiosexual. Should we uh, <laughs> should, should we be celebrating his uh, sure. his courage under fire? Uh, is he under fire? No, he's not under fire. It's the dumbest article Everybody's I've ever applause, seen. Everybody's like, applauding. There were so many articles about it. John, what does that even mean? Sapiosexual for listeners at home means you were only attracted to intellect. Lies, nigga. Because (laughs) I know some very charming, very chubby with glasses girls who are not being sexually attracted to. You know, so like, fine. It's good that you are elevating. Say, I don't just need some, you know, Instagram model who's just gonna make me look good. Congratulations that you see women as equals. Like, what? We wouldn't want to date no dummies either. But a woman can never say I'm a sapiosexual. Right. Sapio. Yeah. In, in, a, in a way less intense version, but it was kind of similar. Where Keanu uh, Reeves came out, oh I guess, my God. was a woman who was like uh, just a normal looking woman, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Once again, thank you for your service for this situation." <laughs> the worst part was they were like, "Thank you for dating a woman your own age," right. but she's literally she's like younger. fifteen years younger than. <laughs> she just had gray hair. Yeah, homeboy just happens to look. I guess still really it's young. It's because we've been in, in, yeah, and it's because we've encouraged a culture that makes it okay to be attracted to really, really young girls, you know, like really, really, like the reason R. Kelly has so many defenders is because there's lots of guys who wish they could fuck 15 year old girls and get away with it. Well, I mean, are, are all our heads kind of just messed up in general from porn? And, and, you know, it's just like all these like unrealistic things of what people think they like should have or what they should be getting. Because you just, you, I hear this all the time. Like you'll be with friends and they'll be like, I think I deserve this person or, you know, I want to get someone who looks like this. And I'm like, you don't look anywhere near that. <laughs> like where, where is this rationale? You're talking about guys, right? Who think? Mainly guys. Yeah, that, that's mainly <laughs> yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Here and there, it's the other side, but it's mainly guys. And you're like, this is leagues and leagues above what you should be getting. Like, <laughs> yeah. where do you get off thinking this is normal? Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because I think porn can be a great thing. The good thing about our generation was that porn was hard to get. Right. So you didn't obsess or fixate or take it as seriously as like when you can wake up and watch a whole bunch of porn now. So I love porn, but I do think that there's a lot of image um, issues. And shout out to Cindy Gallup, founder of Make Love Not Porn, who is pro porn, pro sex, pro knowing the difference. Um, You know, I think that people think you know, in their heads. And so they want to see it in real life. And so unfortunately people see, there's things that you would watch on porn that will get you off that you may not even want in your real life sex life. And just, again, people just don't know the difference. This is the problem. We never evolved out of being children because children don't know the difference between reality and fantasy. And now when everything is exactly customized to what we want, we expect it in the real world. So, you know. Yeah, I definitely think. Ed was a huge Victoria's Secret catalog guy. You know what? I'm not going to say that I wasn't. I think, well, I, we never got the, 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 uh, um, the catalogs to the, to the crib. Maybe we did. I don't know. You have a sister? Yes, you did. Okay, maybe we They've did. They've been targeting you know, young girls since 10. You know what's a really funny 10, thing to think about? Them. Is like, if you remember, remember like American Pie, like the first movie? Yeah. It was like, you. they were talking to the older brothers looking for like the Bible of like how to figure, like out, how to do this stuff. That's such an archaic thing. I feel like if you showed American Pie to like 14 year olds oh now, they'd be God. like, Why? what does this even mean? I've been looking at you <laughs> porn for five years already. Right. Wow. It would be so tame. The way we look at like 1950s Turner Classic movies, like this is like risque or right. something. Like this is a crazy. I know. This is a scary movie. Like what is this garbage? It's nothing. I know. We were so naive. Right. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, it's true. They, are, are kids really looking at you porn from 10? I don't know. They're probably looking at it. All, all I know is. Probably. 
know. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, isn't there like a whole? I'm not going to put on blast, but I've heard, I've heard some stories of people in education here in the city mm-hmm. uh, of some of these young kids, and they are exposed to some stuff. They don't even fully know what they're talking about, right. but they are sure. re- at really young ages. Like I was like, I knew nothing of what you're talking about mm. right now. How is this even coming up? Oh my, yeah. yeah, yeah. My kids are not having a phone until at least 15. There's nothing good on there. Yeah, I agree. I would do the same. I think. Yeah, they don't need Facebook. Right. My attention's also trash because of my phone. Oh, it's really I used to bad. read long books Same. all the time. On the I subway? have such a hard time. Now. I know, right? You know what they've actually said? They they give Gen Z a hard time because like they they, they were raised with all this. You know, like I'm too old for Snapchat. I don't really get it. But like the generation below us, they say, Oh, they're so distracted. But because they were raised with it, their minds and attention functioning has evolved. So they actually have fragmented attention. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're the ones, millennials, who will say, Oh, I have a notification. Oh, I meant to check my email. And and we get distracted because we were raised in a one thing at a time era and so we're actually the ones that are most like kids know their limits actually right yeah the whole evolving thing and then there's the whole like generational like you know i the when radio was invented the 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 parents of that generation like radio is gonna rot these kids brain like you know what i mean shout out love line Shout out Loveline. Like, so like, like <laughs> you know, it's I that was that was the shit back in the day. That's what we're trying to do with Be the Change. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like before Doctor Drew became a hack. Yeah, it was really <laughs> good. I loved watching that show. Yeah. So well, like, who are you bringing on on, on Be The Change? Like, what type uh, of people? Man, so Be The Change is my podcast, y'all, uh, sponsored by Sonos. And yeah, we're basically trying to do like the Lex version of Loveline. So we have an episode called Fuckboys Anonymous that we did with Dominic Cart. I listened you? to that Did one. you? What'd you yeah. think? I thought it was great. I don't know who Dominic is. He's I didn't know really who he was. He's a really great coach. Before. He is um, recovering from the patriarchy, as he likes to say. Oh, He's be one of those dudes out there doing his thing. Finally got caught. How with- shitty do you have to be to be called a fuckboy? So you, I mean, so this is actually what the episode is about. They were saying that guys can't take responsibility because they have friends who are dog dogs. Like they see their friends doing this, really knowingly getting girls pregnant at the same time. Just a whole, and they're and so they can say, "Well, I'm not as bad as him, so I'm not really a fuckboy." So me ghosting on her, that's a victimless crime. So again, like anything. There's a spectrum. You could be a dog, like future, you know, or you could be like Tiger Woods old monkey ass, like still like not doing the right thing <laughs> or just somebody who like, yeah. Like, By the way, if Jim were here, he'd hate this conversation. He hates gossip. I love true. gossip. True. And I never get to do it because I'm a therapist and it's all confidential. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. True. I love gossip. But the thing about the thing that's unfortunate, you have this kid that has your name. It's one of your nine kids. And now that kid has like several unloved half siblings from the hood. Like that is not a good use of your seed, bro. Stop. Jeez. This is why I'm so pro-choice. It's on y'all. We should make it illegal. Like if you are with a girl that you don't love, pull out. Like period. Like it's not on us. It be on us to have to like get plan b get birth control Mm -hmm. it's on y'all i can fuck a hundred dudes a day and only get pregnant once you could fuck and probably you have fucked a hundred girls and get them all pregnant you know so who who is the responsibility on pull out pull out y'all seriously like be the pull out king don't y'all watch portlandia (laughs) is that a thing on portlandia pull out king there's this gender bending thing I love that. I, I only know the episode where they ordered the chicken, so it's a very. <laughs> oh, and they go to visit the chicken. <laughs> they go visit the chicken. They're following. Portland's up. like that. I love that. I've been doing some work with Nike. I love it out there. Portland's such a hilarious place. A few times I've been there, I walked into like basically a, a, a local version of a blockbuster video, <laughs> and but everything about it was like unironic. Like the person was like dyed pink hair, right. you know, with like a lip ring and all this different stuff. And then you know, I asked them if there were the. You know, there were certain DVDs in the back, and they kind of just slowly looked up from their classic novel and just said yes, <laughs> and then slowly looked back down. I was like, "This is literally 
Portlandia is literally them just yes. documenting Portland life. Yes. It's where young people go to retire. All right. Well, we're super <laughs> off topic at this point. But Betty's uh, Uber's coming. Big shout to B. Arthur, the actual, the original, Ugh. the one. <laughs> uh, and check out Be the Change. Be the Change. Super dope. I'm two, I'm two episodes in. I got to get into how you're many episodes you've been in so far. We did eight episodes. Some of my favorite episodes were Sex in the Self. We had a like, licensed sexologist come on. I almost gave her the whole damn show. Uh, we did a really good one called I Miss You about grief and the modern mm. era. Work sucks, then you die because everybody hates their job. But yeah, mm. it's my favorite thing to talk to people who have problems. I love problems. So I love talking about all our problems. Thanks for having me, guys. Sure. We got to have you back. And, and you know, once the full squad's here, we'll do this will be part one. Okay. And then part two, we got to get more into, I think, interracial relationships because there's a whole history there that, you know, I want to get into um, and then many other topics. For sure. For sure. B, appreciate you. Thanks, See everyone sir. next week. Thanks, Bye. B. Peace. Honestly speaking. <laughs> <laughs>